Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. This episode is a little bit unique and we're going to be mixing things up a bit. Adam Yee is a close friend and the host of the My Food Job Rocks podcast, a weekly podcast where he interviews food scientists, food technologists, culinary experts, and pretty much anyone with a food job. Adam Yee has an interesting list of guests, especially some that are related to the cultured meat space. I highly suggest you check out his podcast series at www.myfoodjobrocks.com. For this episode, we're going to be doing something special. Adam recorded an episode with Hugh Thomas, co-founder of Ugly Drinks, and it plays out kind of like an origin story, but in a very interesting listen that showcases the importance of branding for really any type of food product. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to highlight upcoming conferences, events, and news in the cultured meat space. New Harvest 2019 is taking place at the MIT Media Lab in Cambridge. Learn more and register at new-harvest.org and get a special discount by going to futurefoodshow.com promo. The Cultured Meat Symposium, or CMS 19, is taking place in San Francisco this November. The theme of this year's show is Food Plus Science. Learn more about the event and register at www.cms19.com. Early bird registration is open until July 31st. Mosameet is hiring. If you're interested in getting into the field of cellular agriculture, Mosameet is currently hiring scientists with cell culture experience, as well as automation engineers and quality assurance specialists. You could find open roles at mosameet.com careers. So without further ado, let's jump into the My Food Job Rocks podcast episode with Adam Yee and Hugh Thomas. Why does your food job rock? My food job rocks because I get to come into work every day and work with a group of people who are fun, energetic, passionate, exciting, and we are trying to take on a massive Goliath together. Uh, and there's no feeling like it when you see someone buy your product. Welcome to the My Food Job Rocks podcast, a weekly podcast where we interview experts in the food industry and hear about their life advice, input on innovative technology, and their love of food. I'm your host, Adam Yee, and you're listening to episode 105 with Hugh Thomas, CEO and co-founder of Ugly Drinks. Sometimes you just browse the internet and you see a product that's just so noticeable that you have to take a look at it. This is Hugh Thomas's company, Ugly Drinks, in a nutshell. A bright, light blue can with various bold flavors and a U that looks like a tongue, kind of like it's teasing you. Not only that, but Ugly Drinks' clever marketing campaign is so eye-catching and, and a bit tongue-in-cheek, and Ugly Drinks was kind enough to give me some ads to show, uh, which you can see on our website. Hugh posts regularly on LinkedIn promoting his company, but does it in a way where I want to know more about his company. So he posts success after success, funny ad after funny ad, and I just love the way his team is challenging the soft drink market. I had to have him on the show, and I'm so glad I did. Not only did I learn about the creativity in the marketing and branding behind Ugly Drinks, but Hugh gave clear, transparent advice to help the budding food entrepreneur excel to their level. So if you want to hear how to start and market a food company from the ground up, Hugh gives great tactical advice to do this. From choosing a manufacturer, to leaving your job, to getting into stores, and so much more. Soon to be launched in the United States around the time this podcast airs, keep an eye on these guys. Not because they'll be dominating, I mean, they definitely might, but because this company is just a fun, bright, and exciting brand. And I assure you that if you follow them, they will take you for a wild ride. This episode is brought to you by Bakerpedia your one-stop resource that answers all of your questions on industry trends, ingredient information, food safety, and more. It's shared knowledge, freely available, always. Bakerpedia.com. We do all the thinking so you can focus on your business. This episode is also sponsored by Food Grads. If you're even just a little bit interested in a career in food and beverage, you should join Food Grads. It's an interactive platform where you can hear about different careers, hear from your peers, have a voice and share your story, as well as ask specific questions and get feedback from industry experts across the sector. You can create a profile, add your resume, and search for co-op, internships, and full-time opportunities just for food grads. Join food grads today. Just go to foodgrads.com. All right, on with the interview. 
All right, so I start with this question first because I'm always interested in how people kind of introduce themselves. When okay. someone asks what you do for a living, what do you tell them in a sentence or less? I think I build brand uh, healthier drinks brands, I think, is what I'm trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. So trying to build a rebellious, healthy drink brand. A rebellious, healthy drink brand. Yeah. Hmm. So what is that brand? So Ugly is a it's a fruit-flavored sparkling water. Uh, and when we initially came up with the idea, I think Joe, who's my business partner, and myself were both frustrated. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're London-based currently, uh, UK-based, but we were frustrated with the amount of sugary and sweetened drinks available to consumers and just the sheer volume that were being consumed in the UK, I think. I mean, we're only a, I mean, we're a lot smaller than the US, about 70 million people here, mm-hmm. but 9 billion litres of cola were drunk in the UK last year. Wow. Um, so it's, all, it, it's a considerable amount. And um, kind of two, three years ago, when we first started the business. Um, we, uh, we, we both have kind of family members involved in diabetic uh, works. My mum's a diabetic nurse in the UK and Joe's sister works for a diabetes organization here. And I think we were just very aware of kind of the impact this was having. And in, in particular, we felt sugary and sweetened drinks. And when we actually looked at the marketing of a lot of these beverages that were promising health and wellness um, and actually not delivering it, I think that frustrated us. And that's where the rebellious side comes from. So Ugly, Ugly is a flavored sparkling water with no sugar, no sweetener, no calories, no artificial ingredients. Um, I guess a traditional seltzer water in the in, in the U.S. terms, but that doesn't exist in the U.K. Um, and we're called ugly because we we stand for the ugly truth, uh, and we think in this world of fake news, alternative facts, uh, whether in politics, society, or food and drink marketing, that, that that's kind of what we wanted to stand for. And so, I, when you ask me what I do when I go into work every day, I feel like I'm trying to trying to take on the big dogs and build something uh, totally unique. And again, you're you're doing an awesome job from what I've been seeing. I mean, uh, appreciate well, it. Yeah, I mean, I've, <laughs> I think I, yeah, I saw one one of your uh, ads was, was about Red Red Bull, right? And yes. Then, and then you have a great hashtag. Can Can you explain kind of that how how that works or or why you're doing stuff like that? Well, I mean, for us, there's a lot of uh, I mean, there's hundreds. If you look at the big beverage brands, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, say the ones that are 50, 100 years old, and you look at their advertising between the two two periods, you quite often see exactly the same creative, the same taglines that have been used for hundreds of years. Um, smiling people holding uh, sugary sweetened drinks <laughs> look really happy. And mm-hmm. I think for us, when we're talking about ugly, we're saying there's no promises here. We're not, there's no, uh, no wings attached. There's no artificial ingredients. Um, we're, we're just ugly and we're just going to say what it is. I mean, we don't make any claims on the pack. We don't say we're going to give you 2,000% of your daily this or anything like that. We're just saying this is a flavored sparkling water. It's all natural uh, and there's no sugar, no sweetener, no artificial ingredients in it at all. So we're, we're kind of just kind of giving you the ugly truth and just telling you telling you what we are. Uh, and that kind of allows us to maybe, I mean, we're just having a little bit of fun with some of these bits and pieces of work and we're, we're not. We're not really. Uh, we're, we're. It's all in good taste. Hopefully, people can take it as a bit of fun. But um, yeah, it's it's just a nice way of kind of exposing some of the marketing that we think has been a bit over the top, maybe for a hundred years. So that that gives me a good question. Have people? Have you gotten some like comments that uh, people were offended by some of your um, ads? No, I think. I mean, I think consumers and particularly young consumers millennial consumers mm-hmm. i mean you only have to look at kind of recent political events to see kind of particularly in the uk us as well we both have had kind of interesting few years um and i don't think depending on either side of the political spectrum that you sit on i think what we can all agree on is that having news that isn't true doesn't help anyone um and information that's not correct e- either and so when it comes to food and drink brands, I think millennial consumers are very savvy. And they want authenticity and they really just want the truth and they want to know what they're putting in their bodies. And so for us, when we do in the UK in particular, um, we're due to launch in the US next year. But um, what we've seen here is just a very positive um, kind of support from everybody who who beginning to get their head, head around what, what's been going on for a long time. And um, we're not really... 
an anti-sugar brand or anti-anything like that. What we are saying is that people should have choice and they should have transparency when they're eating and drinking things. And so anything we can do to raise awareness of transparency and uh, cl clarity of food and drink, I think it's important. And I'm, I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure you agree. I think that's <laughs> what you do, right? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a pro pro-choice maybe that's not the right word here but um uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh choice is good in, in my opinion um yeah yeah so exactly. god i mean i'm just really love your brand it, it's bright and um kind of squishy i guess to say <laughs> it, it, <laughs> <laughs> um but I, i'm always a big fan of, of distilling um kind of either a process or philosophy of developing a brand can you yeah. go into that a little bit yeah, so um, myself and my co-founder, Joe, we both met whilst we were working at the coconut water company, Vitacoco. Oh, okay. um, so we, we worked at that business here in the UK. Uh, myself in the marketing team, Joe in the sales team. But when it came to actually developing the liquid, that was totally new territory for us. So about three years ago, we, we had this idea, uh, looking at sugary sweetened drinks, that we were going to create a beverage that had no sugar and sweetener in it. Um, and so we started developing... Um, a product then, which was a still drink in a bottle at the time, um, so a flavored flavored water in a in a in a bottle, and we've evolved the idea from there. I think we got consumer feedback to say that uh, that they'd love a sparkling product, that uh, carbonated drinks was what they were really addicted to, so to speak, and um, that's when we started the evolution towards the canned product that we have today. Um, but it really just started with us going, "Cool, what's the first step?" Um, and the first step for us was, well, how do we even make this? Um, and then from there, phoning different manufacturing facilities and trying to, I guess, by um, kind of going through, kind of getting a lot of no's, hearing a lot of no's, we can't make this for you, we don't work with startups. We eventually found ourselves with a manufacturing partner who could support us in the creation of the drink. And once we knew we could make the beverage, uh, the next step seemed to line up in terms of, well, this is how much money we need to make it. Um, this is what this is how you create a brand and and then from there we've kind of just grown and grown and learned a huge amount at every step along the way it's it's indescribable how much you learn when you start a food business no oh, i bet so so speaking of that i think what a lot of people struggle on is, is two things that that you mentioned uh, i kind of want you to go into more detail um one is how do you have people validate your early stage product or your prototype so I, I think we probably did too big a test. Mm -hmm. and so we probably made too many drinks at the beginning. And so that's a learning. But I mean, there's two things now. If, if I was going to do it again, um, if I was going to start another food business, I'd start very small. I'd start making my own batches, maybe go to local farmers markets, markets and really getting consumer feedback. I think there's a danger that if you ask your friends and families what they think, they'll either tell you they hate it because they don't want you to quit your job or they'll tell you they love it because they love you. Um, and so where the real test is, is whether people will part their money for it and whether they part their money for it on a repeat basis. Um, so I would certainly with a food business, obviously being something people eat and drink, um, I'd certainly try and get as much feedback early as possible, find out what flavors people like, find out what format people want to, buy your product in and work out what pricing it should be at and you can do all that very quickly and in a lot of quite lean ways um and we probably we did something similar with the bottled drink learning that we should have done it in carbonated but we we certainly made too many of those bottles um and we, it took us a while to to kind of learn that but i think the other thing that i would advise people to do if they're starting now and learning what i've learned about e-commerce and online business is that you're able to sell direct to consumers across a uh, whole nation. So we're able to sell across the whole UK from day one using uh, online eShop technology. And that's all very cheap and easy to set up. So if I was going to start again, I'd probably do a bit of in real life testing, but testing where people part with their own hard earned money for it. And then and then maybe test it online as well and see see kind of how it sells. And I think we we did we essentially did that, but not by knowing we'd done that. <laughs> so playing it back. No, no, that, that's really great advice. And another one is, I guess, because a lot of co-packers will say no. What are the signs of a co-packer saying yes? Is it is it a size thing? Is it? I think. You know um, I mean? Yeah. No, I definitely do. I have a few tips on that. So <laughs> when we first when we first started, we. 
we were working from just Gmail accounts, you know, just classic. My personal email account I use for everything that isn't business related. Um, and I think obviously a lot of co-packers in the UK and certainly in the US will receive speculative emails from prospective entrepreneurs quite regularly. Um, and surely a lot of Google Mail emails that eventually transpire to nothing. So um, they obviously prioritize these things differently. And so one of the first things you could do is buy a domain name and set up an email address that at least, look, at least looks professional. And I think as soon as we did that and had a quick logo, which again, you could create online very quickly, um, we got a lot more cut through in terms of response. And so that's one early, early test. And I think there's a lot of gut feel. There's a lot of kind of treating it like a partnership and talking about it like a partnership um, certainly is a good way to start doing it. And anybody that talks about it like that, where they're looking to build with you rather than just have it transactionally, I think that's important. Um, and then the question we consistently asked if somebody said they couldn't help us was, do you know anyone who can? Um, and I think that unlocked plenty of doors and ultimately has led us to manufacturing partners we use today. Um, it, or quite often, if someone says no, then you might just put the phone down and, and have to do the work itself. But generally, through these connections, we've, we've managed to locate people that you might not find using Google and things like that. That's that's awesome. That's really good advice, especially with the email thing. That that's a really funny thing. But, <laughs> it's, but it's amazing. It's amazing the impact it makes. <laughs> I know it's only like a what a fifty dollar investment to to set that yeah. up. So it's, it's not yeah, even it's, that. <laughs> call yourself CEO and founder, and it makes a difference. <laughs> Again, great stuff. Um, so you've had experience in the food industry, uh, yeah, which is which is pretty cool actually. Um. So can you kind of describe the steps it took to get to where you are today? Yeah, so so when I left university in the UK um, at 21, I joined Heinz, uh, working on Heinz baked beans, which is a big product in the UK, and then latterly Heinz ketchup, where I was in the brand management team there. Um, both massively successful products here. Obviously, ketchup in the US is one of the iconic brands. It's the same here. Um and so I guess what I, I mean, I was very young. That was my first proper job out of university. And I was working with a brand that's, again, over 100 years old. And I loved it. And I learned a huge amount. And what you learn about Heinz is it was was a, one of the original disruptors in that Henry Heinz, the founder, was one of the first food producers to package his products in clear packaging. So you can see the, the container or the, see the, what the container held. And but ultimately, when you've been when you are somewhere that's been around for 100 years, your job's really not to mess it up. Um, and there's only so many things you can do to really kind of take the brand to the next level. And so for me, I learned a huge amount how big companies work there and the structure and the rigor um, the big food companies. But I really just wanted to get stuck in and feel like I was part of something that was growing. And so when I spotted that Vitacoco was moving to the UK, uh, I applied for a very early job there. Um, and became kind of brand manager of the brand at 22 uh, in the UK. And I was the first marketing hire. So I was driving the van. I was doing demos. I set up the Instagram account in the UK, uh, running the Twitter. So I kind of got a general feel. And then over the two, three, four years I was there, four, three and a half years, I think, um, I, I, I became kind of more and more senior. And by the time I left, I had a, had a team working for me of um, – five six seven people um so quite a lot of development in a short amount of time and the brand grew massively here as it has done in the u.s um i managed to do some amazing things with that brand with rihanna as the face of it and things like that and but also it's where i met my met my co-founder joe so joe joe had actually joined just before me so we were both there when the team was less than five six seven people uh, and left when the team was nearly 60 um so quite a bit of quite a bit of change in uh, a lot of changing faces in that time. And I think near, towards the end, we decided that we wanted to, instead of get another job after that, having worked at a fast-growing startup, we wanted to give it a go ourselves. Um, and it was a very inspirational place to be. And that's kind of where the where it came from. But I think for both of us, starting a business was something we always wanted to do, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> and food and drink is such an exciting space. I Everybody agree. has an opinion on something they eat mm -hmm. and drink. So. Oh, yes, definitely. You you have two different, very different experiences, and, and a lot of um a lot of people do struggle with kind of the cost of a big company, small company, or fast company, slow company. Um, what what are kind of the key lessons you learned from both? 
in, in terms of a marketing perspective? So um, I think for me, it's funny because when I worked at a big company, I was frustrated with the structure. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I was in a small company, I basically spent my whole time creating it. <laughs> um, so, and, and I think it's about finding the right balance at the right stage of business you are. Um, and I think you, you need to be probably more disciplined and more structured than you think early on uh, to give yourselves the rigor and the discipline and the focus. But really too much structure will stifle you. And so I think having a very simple plan in place that you stick to and you check and you measure will give a lot of early results. And I think too many food and drink businesses right at the beginning just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Whereas we, when we started Ugly, we didn't put a huge structure in place for each department, but we had a plan. Um, we knew roughly what we'd focus on and where we wouldn't focus. And saying what we wouldn't do is equally important. So from a marketing point of view, we wanted to make sure we did lots of demos in stores to introduce consumers to the product. And so we focused on doing that. And Joe and I and the early team here did a, did a huge number of, of those ourselves, um, meeting consumers and learning. But it was a focus for us, and that's why we that's why we did it. Um, but it meant that we didn't do any big consumer shows in the UK that year because we didn't have the cash to do it. And and saying having the whole team aligned to what we weren't going to do allowed us to make the demos even better. And um, we weren't spreading ourselves too thin. Now, as the business grows, I think we're introducing more structure. We have larger budgets to do more activity, and um, I think that's kind of where you then need more structure, especially as you're growing your team as well, and you're maybe not necessarily involved in everything every day. But early on, Joe and I doing the demos in store was just invaluable. The amount I personally learned about the brand and how to pitch it and what was right with the product and what wasn't is worth the investment and time alone. I see. Very great tips. Um, Very, very important tips, to be honest with you. Uh, So, Graf, thanks for sharing. Uh, No worries. (laughs) (laughs) What was the specific point of time where where you and and your co-founder, Joe, decided to leave? So we came up with the idea for Ugly in late 2013. Mm -hmm. um, And we we generally thought it would take us two to three months to set up the business and then we'd be ready to quit and go full time and build it. Um, 18 months later, we left our job. So it took us, I mean... There's a number of reasons that happened. We were both very busy in our jobs at the same time, too, and having to fit this in around it, around particularly busy growth growth for Vitacoco. Um, and we had some production stumbling blocks along the way, but it was a case of salaries come in, and then you spend what you need to to get to the next step of the business, whether it's um, paying for legal fees, paying for web domains, or, or anything like that. And Yeah, in April 2015, we managed to leave our jobs and the, the company was very supportive of us and that still remains to be today. Um, so we're still in touch with a lot of people there. And, and yeah, it's been a real kind of um, up and down roller coaster of two years, two, just over two years since we left our jobs. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that is for many, many food jobs. So I guess, so, so I think I'm trying to look for like a concrete marker. Like, was was it like, we're going to launch. We might as well jump ship right now. Or... Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We, um, right. we, um, so we actually have both had three months notice period, which is a, a uh-huh. UK, UK, you have a lot longer. To leave the job. Uh-huh. So in order for us to leave on the last day of March, we needed to quit the first day back after new year's day. Um, so we both went into, into the CEO in the UK's office one after the other and handed in our notices in, um, which I think was a bit of a surprise because we were such core members of the team there. But I think once he understood that it wasn't to get other jobs, it was to do our own thing. But uh, he, he gave us gave us his support. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, okay, so so launching was that really difficult to do, or or I mean, so did that take that was eighteen months span, right, of ideation yeah. and launching? Yeah, I mean. The the initial launch, once you get to a point where you know how you're going to make your drink, uh-huh. you've got your early branding sorted, and you've maybe worked out how you're going to fund that early production run, um, it's then a case of getting all your timing right and working back from launch date and understanding all the timelines. Um, and we actually did quite a good job of that. I think that's one thing we, we did we did well, <laughs> amongst other things we didn't. But tying together the branding 
making sure we had some early customers lined up for the product to go into, um, getting everything kind of set up. Um, that was a case of kind of setting a date in our minds, which was the 1st of June. And we actually had a had a, a bet on with some friends that we would make it. Um, we spice it up. And so it was a three-month runway in terms of going full-time from leaving leaving our jobs to kind of having the product listed in maybe a hundred stores in London. Um, and so it, it was hectic and you, you do have to spin a lot of plates and you have to be, you have to change what you're working on quite often, but it's a case of just nudging everything in the right direction and working back from that launch timing. So you're, you're in retail. Um, did you guys use a broker system or did you guys leverage your, your, uh, cocoa water contacts? Um, yeah, so, so, so Joe, Joe's background meant we had some strong relationships with the wholesalers and we were able to kind of leverage that early. But that still doesn't mean that they are going to list any product and stock any product. And we had to sell it in like we had to sell anything else in. It was just, I guess we just had the email addresses um, <laughs> and at least an understanding of how the model worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, then, but then it's a case of walking up and down the street and selling into shops and Okay. We, we, we've we've been doing that kind of quite relentlessly for for a good six to twelve months now. So so why did people decide to accept your product? So I think I mean obviously in the UK there's a and it's the same globally really there's a massive move towards health and I think uh, carbonated soft drinks are beginning to struggle here in the UK. I'm sure it's the same if not uh, faster uh, change in the US in terms of traditional soda and diet soda. I think for retailers where they traditionally have that space on shelf for, for those drinks, they're now willing to look at alternatives or healthier alternatives, particularly in London, where people are willing to try new things. Um, and so that alongside a kind of energetic team, passionate team and a, an exciting brand, I think, uh, gave the retailers or customers uh, exci- uh, enough kind of to, to give us a first go. And then once it's on shelf and starts selling, I think the proof's, the proof's there. That it was worth them doing it, but you have to have people give you a chance over <laughs> that. That's uh, that's great. Um, actually, speaking of London and, and the UK in general, I've, I've noticed kind of a shift in, in food innovation there. Uh, I, I interviewed someone else, uh, Lisa Say from uh, Sweet Mandarin. Yeah, uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting though, like. I think the stereotype we have in America is that uh, British food is ugly. Or, well, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. Can you can you guys describe what do you think is the the driver of that trend? So uh, I think I I think London is London is an amazing food place to be. I mean, mm-hmm. there probably isn't a better restaurant city in the world right now than London, mm-hmm. um, which is surprising to a lot of people who hear heard about terrible London food first. Mm-hmm. For 100 years, really, if not longer. Um, and that change has really happened, I'd say, in the last four years. Um, oh, really? Uh, and it's, it's been triggered, I guess, in two parts. One, by the packaged food and drink industry. So we have nine whole food stores in the UK, which isn't many. There's five stores in London. And then a, lo- a load of the super- load of supermarket customers who are having more progressive food and drink agendas. Um, so that's one part is that they've that the supply chains in terms of getting ingredients and better food products to people improved. And then I think consumers shifted. Um, people like Jamie Oliver, who I'm sure you're aware of, very prominent television chefs have stepped the game of food up in the UK in terms of what people are cooking at home, but also where they're eating out. Um, and that's just meant that people have become more adventurous alongside being more health conscious. And so I see the rate of change increasing faster and faster. We have, from having no kombucha brands in the UK a year ago, there's probably 15 in London now. Um, and so where we're maybe a little bit behind the trends, we catch up fast. And I think we're getting faster and faster, which is exciting. Um, and we have, there's a big healthy, con- health conscious uh, population in London. There's a big vegan community. And there's a lot of people experimenting with new ingredients. And I think we're set for a, a good kind of, period of a lot of innovation coming out of the UK, hopefully. I mean, I'm quite passionate about it because a lot of my friends do it. But um, (laughs) the other other thing is, I mean, when you look at the coasts in America in particular and see the innovation in those stores, there are opportunities here to pick the successes and and replicate here yourself before those brands make it over the the Atlantic. Hmm, That that is 
an interesting thought. Uh, definitely, especially about reading the trends in, in the U.S. and translating it to the U.K. Uh, Not all of them will work, mine. Not no, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the company I work for it actually just launched in the U.K. too. And, oh, and nice. Yeah, it, it's uh, Isagenics, uh, uh, multi-level stuff. Um, but it, you know, people people have different tastes over there, right? So sometimes they don't translate very well. Uh, and because we don't have an, uh, an R&D focus there, it, it, it's a bit challenging, to be honest with you. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for a quick break. Now it's time to hear for a word for our sponsors, Icon Foods. So let me pose this question to you food developers and R&D colleagues out there in podcast land. Have you ever ran into a situation where you have marketing breathing down your neck to accomplish the impossible? I'll bet their Reformulate You initiative is in place and ready to help you reformulate with clean label sugar reduction in mind. Icon CEO Tom King was on one of my podcasts a while back and he literally wrote a book on cutting out sugar. His book, Guy Gone Keto, comes out in late March. And if you are looking to cut down on your added sugars in your formula and want a reliable supply chain partner in clean label sweeteners and ingredients, look no further than Icon Foods. www.iconfoods.com or give them a call at 310-455-9876. All right, that was cool. Now back to the show. So our famous question is, why does your food job rock? My food job rocks because I get to come into work every day and work with a group of people who are fun, energetic, passionate, exciting, and we are trying to take on a massive Goliath together. Uh, and there's no feeling like it when you see someone buy your product. <laughs> <laughs> the best feeling in food and drink is when you see someone walking down the street with your drink mm-hmm. uh, or food products. Uh, it's amazing, and that makes it all worthwhile. And I just think doing it with a group of people you like and admire and get on with just makes it all a bit better. Mm-hmm. Excellent, I, I love it. Um, speaking of employees, then uh, you know, startup employees, um, energetic, full of passion. How do you find them? And, and I guess what do you look for in, in kind of your starting team? Yeah. I think, I think obviously we'll change as the business grows. And I think when you get bigger, you need people who've been there and done it. But certainly early on, when you're an early startup, it's a lot about attitude. And I think in food and drink in particular, you need to find the right blend of team and the right balance of individuals between both IQ and EQ. Um, not everyone with a, with great test scores or great um, exam results is going to be the best food and drink startup employee because <laughs> it requires all sorts of different dynamics you you need people with emotional skill sets and personal skill sets and human skill sets i mean an example would be one day you might be you might be talking to consumers then you might be talking to an accountant then you might be talking to uh, a local store owner and that requires a lot of different um skill sets beyond just being book smart um that being said, you also need people with the with different that skill set too to, to counterbalance and have a have a blend of opinions and skill sets in a team to work. And so for us, we're very much looking for attitude and energy and passion early because that's what you really need when you're when you're taking on a big fight. And then we're looking then we're looking for people with the different skill sets to suit the jobs. We very much see it like a band. Um and you have I mean, different departments. So, for example, sales, marketing, operations, they're all equally important. And a band wouldn't sound as good without the drums or the bass guitar as it does with the singer. No one's more important than the other. And that's how we see it. Um, the sales team may be the most outgoing and the loudest, but they're certainly not the most important in our business. Everybody's equal in that sense. And it's about giving everybody the, the space to present, to say what they think and, and try and trying to create an environment like that. And so, we're looking for people that can work within that sort of environment. Great, great advice. Um, what type of food trends and technologies are really exciting you right now? Oh, so, uh, there's so many. I mean, I've never, I've, I've never been more excited to be in this space. Um, I think in terms of food trends, I'm really currently excited by online commerce and direct-to-consumer and the, the types of products and innovations that may come from that. Um, not... I mean, there's, I mean, there's lots of examples of food businesses selling there, but I'm sure there's going to be businesses that are creating in the next five, ten years that have started from an online point of view 
and there are going to be some exciting products that that are created by entrepreneurs. Ugly is very uh, direct to consumer focused, and it's something we're hoping to build on. And I think there's an exciting opportunity there to use technology to our advantage in terms of personalization, limited edition products, and so online certainly something that interests me and excites me. I think I think other than that, I think plant-based protein certainly. Um, it feels like something that whether you're whether you're vegetarian, vegan, uh, meat eater, that having more plant-based protein in your diet is probably better for your body and better for the world. And I think that is something that I think is a big trend and that is exciting because there's lots of versions of that that we're yet to create, yet to discover, or yet to put into to to new brand um, packages. Um, and then I think in the UK for me, I'm excited by cold brew coffee and kombucha, um, both beverages that I've been craving for a long time and both kind of really taking off here. I think cold brew coffee offers a great tasting, low sugar, no sweetener, natural drink. And kombucha is provides kind of that probiotic gut um, goodness and something that tastes amazing that you really get hooked to. And I, I, I like both of those products. Yeah, those are those are all excellent. About um the digital media space, that, that's a really interesting one. Um, well, and I, I guess, what do you think is the best digital media space for a food company uh, in in a consumer direct to consumer setting? Um, I think it's a combination. I think it's an ecosystem of tools you need to use. Certainly, Instagram and having visual content is going to excite consumers, and you need to pair that also with Facebook. Um huge amount of populations there again it will depend who your target consumer is um but you really need to make sure that your website um is set up to deal with the the traffic um so a friend of mine likens it to having a bucket of water uh, and there's no point having a leaky bucket um so you need to make sure you spend a lot of time thinking about the user journey there before you start sending too many people to it or pouring water into it if that makes sense um so, so we are spending quite a bit of time at the moment just reviewing our website, making sure the user experience is enjoyable, uh, and then we'll and then we'll go from there. Okay, so you're trying to have them, I guess, go into the funnel, right? In the sense. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I know. I know there's lots of ways to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. There's so many ways. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that for another hour. I know. That's another podcast. <laughs> What do you think is the biggest challenge in the food industry we need to face? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there are a lot. I, 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 yeah, I arguably I, I would answer similarly. I think this, this, the way the digital world is shifting is going to change everything. Um, and I think it's going to happen very, very quickly. So I think for any food business, they need, they need to... I mean, I guess there's a challenge between the industry and the food business. But certainly the food industry needs to understand how the digital world is going to affect it. Alongside that, I think there there really is a need to create healthier food and drink products. Um, and and I know a lot of people talk about the center of the store. So we've got fresh products around the outside and every, every other product in the center that's maybe not been innovated for 50, 60, 70, 100 years. There's a big opportunity for all of those products to be made healthier for consumers and that will have a big impact on on health and wellness of massive populations. No, I, I agree that even though people are jumping on the food space, there's still so much room to do. I know. It's, <laughs> and it's unlimited, really. Mm-hmm. And it will continue to be, I'm sure. Definitely. I mean, you know, I think the, the bigger companies are, are a bit slow. And, you know, they, they some some would even argue they have to compensate by buying uh, exactly. smaller, more innovative companies out. Um, so exactly. Perfect time to really... You know, express your your ideas. Um. That's it. I mean, anything that personally frustrates you in the food and drink space is an opportunity for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Because someone, most of the time, someone has that same problem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What is one thing in the food industry you'd like to know more about? Oh, there's. So, I mean, the list is unlimited. <laughs> microbiology (laughs) ah yes yes (laughs) food safety i mean it's one of those things that quite often feels out of the control of myself as an entrepreneur when Mm -hmm. the products on the production line um 
I think it would help me sleep better at night if I was an expert in that. <laughs> but I think, uh, all joking aside, I mean, we're creating products that humans eat and drink. They need to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and as great as your brand can be, that's important. And so for me, understanding food science, microbiology a little better would be certainly something that would, would, would be useful. Mm, that, that is that's interesting uh, because I guess I'm the food scientist and uh, <laughs> yeah I, and, I know yeah yeah and and uh, I, I have trouble understanding uh, sales and marketing so you know <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why we need teams right yeah exactly right yeah you need yeah. teams to complement each other but, but that, exactly I, I find that interesting um, <laughs> who inspired you to get into food especially because you did jump into food right after college. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was always been a, it's always been something I enjoyed eating, drinking and trying new products. And, um, but to actually work in food for me, I'm really a brand fan. Um, I love brands. And I think in particular in food and drink, and particularly for me personally now, beverages, I really think what you eat and drink says a lot about you and you can really make a statement with the can that you hold. Um and I got really excited by creating a beverage that really made people feel something and got them excited, kind of the same way that Red Bull or Gatorade or any of these amazing brands over the last 50, 50 years have done. But then to, to combine that with doing something healthier um, just seemed like a win-win. And so I'm excited about creating something that people consume every day, that people interact with on a daily basis and enjoy and refresh refreshes them and that's why I went to work for Heinz Beans because I was excited by working with a product that in the UK has almost 98% penetration. It's in every every household cupboard in the country. Um, and I was excited about working on something that had that level of impact. And I'm not sure that many jobs do. And that was exciting. And that's why I think food's important. Giving a shout out to your peers, what do you, what do you think has, besides your brand, has had an amazing branding, I guess, scene or, or process. Uh, anyone you know in particular that we should look out I, for? I think um, there's a, the brand Hippies, the Chickpea Puff brand, which I know is in the US. Um, the way that brand's been put together and the way that brand's launched is really exceptional. I think um, it's kind of raised the bar, I think, for new products launching. And and knowing a little bit about the process, I know how much work and thought went into creating it. Uh, it's no mean feat to create something that well put together. Um, so for me, that's one. And, and then there's, I'm trying to think of, an, of another as a bonus. Um, I think, I mean, I know, I know it's maybe the buzzword right now, but what RX bars did in terms of launching the business on a shoestring and focusing mm-hmm. on the consumer is an example to all entrepreneurs. Um, and so I, I think those two are super inspiring, and just the cleanliness of that packaging is. Oh yes, the, the packaging changed their game pretty much. Yeah, and I think that's a good learning. We've certainly tried to learn from it, I, but yeah, pretty amazing. Definitely. So, what what is the process of making kind of an awesome marketing campaign? I think you need to start with the consumer. Um, you need to understand what they're looking for. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily you always need to do what they think you're going to do. Um, but I think you certainly need to work back from there and you need to think about what that consumer's life looks like, where they're spending their time, where you want to interact with them. There's a great book called Romancing the Brand. Um, and it talks about kind of brands almost kind of like trying to attract a consumer like a relationship would be. Um, kind of where would you want to meet this person? Well, how would you talk to them? All of the, all of this kind of way of thinking. And I, I think if you, if you do that free work, and work out where you want to meet them, what you want to look like when you meet them, etc. If you start thinking in those terms, I think there's a lot of good thinking in there in terms of working out where your brand has a moment of uh, that it can be special. Ah, I see. Yeah, that, that's that's super interesting. So, but but that makes a lot of sense. And then and then the marketing the marketing communication comes from there. <laughs> um, you build you build out from that that idea. I think. Uh, okay, so so you do have to test the water and see where it goes in a, in a sense. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I'd say having, <laughs> a, having a clear purpose for your brand as well is mm-hmm. is the other part for me, and knowing what you stand for, why you stand for it. Um, 
and then who you're going after. Having those things clear in your head will, will make it a lot easier to know what marketing activity you should do. And you guys are very transparent about who you are and who you're going after. We try to be. <laughs> <laughs> I know this straight off. It's like, oh, okay, all right. Uh, I like this. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you spotted it. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite quote, book, and or kitchen item? Oh, okay. Uh, my favorite quote. There's quite a few. My favorite quote. One of my favorite quotes is, "You're the average of the five people you spend your most time with." Um, I don't, it's been attributed to, I, every time I Google it, someone different has been given that quote, but um, I really believe it. I think it's impacted myself every, every time I've kind of moved through my life, I've maybe had it, I've tried to really think about who I'm spending my time with, making sure they're positive people who push me in the right direction. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think it's cyclical for a lot of people. So if you, if you're hanging around with negative people, it will be a negative cycle and vice versa. So that, that's that. My favorite book, I have a few. I think in terms of what's useful for this podcast, there's a book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, and it's a book on stoicism and ultimately dealing with tough situations. And I think that book has really put us as a business in a strong place when we've had problems. It's very much about going, cool, how are we going to work around this problem to create something more uh, impactful? Um, yeah. uh, so that, and then kitchen mm -hmm. item. Um, oh, there's so many good ones. All right. Um, <laughs> might just keep it simple. I think the toast is amazing. Toaster. <laughs> There's nothing quite like a slice of toast. That's true. Yes. Uh -huh. it's, it's it's quick. It's easy. <laughs> so speaking of books, uh, um, God, you know, I read a lot of Ryan Holiday's books, um, but not Obstacles Away, and I don't know why. Uh, it's see, great. I've, I loved uh, it. Uh -huh. Like I've read Growth Hacker Marketing. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, Ego's the enemy. Good philosophy. Yes. Also, a stoicism book. And yes, uh, it's his, quite stoic. Yeah. Yes, and his, his recent one, I, I found it really good. Um, Perennial Seller. Yes, I have that as well. Yeah. Uh huh. So. Uh, he's a he's a great author. Oh yes, he, he's uh very he's very provocative and and he knows how things work. I guess to say so. Um, I, I'm gonna read off some of the way. That's <laughs> that's pretty much what I <laughs> what I what I got out of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the best meal you've ever eaten? Oh, um, best meal. I I I took my mum for lunch uh, two months ago to an Italian restaurant in London called the River Cafe, um, and it was a female-founded restaurant about thirty years ago. It's where Jamie Oliver learned to cook. But but for me, and it was a, it's a special place on the river in London. Um, but for me, just just. Going with my mum, I, I surprised her with the with the visit. Um, that was great. Went for lunch uh, and had a great great time. But yeah, it's often it's those memories that I think I, it's hard to remember what we ate, but you remember the place and the people you were with. Hmm. I see. Well, that's that's great. Sometimes it's experience that matters more than the food. Exactly. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the food was great. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to start their own food business? Um, Besides the stuff that we we really nailed today, I I would say um, I'd give two I'll give two pieces. One is be patient and try not to spend money. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to waste money, mm -hmm. but if you if you test and learn and and you're smart, you can really save spending a load of money or wasting a load of money early. So that's the first bit. And the second bit is I would say. Really spend a lot of time thinking at the beginning about your brand, your purpose, your mission, what you stand for, and really try and get that as polished as you can. You're obviously going to learn as you go, but the more thinking you put in at the beginning, the easier you'll make your life. And you really got to think about why the consumer wants your product, why the customer who sells it wants your product. And mm -hmm. if, you get, if you think about those two things, how do you do those two? So not spend any money, being patient, and then spending time thinking about your proposition, I think you'd be in a good place. I see. Okay, great, great stuff. Um, last question is, where can we find you for advice if you want to be found? You can get in touch with me any way you want. Um, you can email me. I'm hugh at uglydrinks.com. That's H-U-G-H -H is my name. I'm at uglyhugh on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. You can't miss me. Um, yeah, just get in touch with me any way you want. I answer every email. I answer every every um, tweet, every Facebook message. However you want to get hold of me, you can do that. 
That's great. All right. Um, so and your and your brand, ugly brands, um, is that like you know what are the, what are the contact infos for that one if people want to look at it? Yeah. So so if you're interested to find out more about ugly, please follow us. We're launching in the U.S. in in early next early 2018, so there'll be more relevant information nice. for American <laughs> listeners. Certainly, we are at Ugly Drinks on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn as well. If you want to get in touch with the business. Um, these emails actually still come to me, but um, it's hello at uglydrinks.com and we can direct you to anyone in the business who can help. We generally try and help any food and drink entrepreneurs we can because we had help ourselves. We can't pay it forward. No, awesome. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're pretty open to that. that that's great. Um, actually, are, uh, are you launching like New York or San Francisco or, or any? Um, it looks like East Coast currently. Yeah, uh, that, but make, that makes but we sense. Want to, we want to be available in as many places as possible of in the course. US. Of course. Um, I don't know. Are you? Are you? Are you kind of in the competition of Lacroix, or I don't know how to pronounce it. But... Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly. I mean, I think we're we're going to be launching with a brand with a real purpose and a real mission. Um, we're going to have um, a really kind of rebellious proposition, and we're hoping to kind of ex- do some exciting activity that really engages with consumers. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be in the same space, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, um, I mean, perfectly fine. There's and, a lot of soda being consumed in the U.S. Mm-hmm, exactly, <laughs> but but your brands are so different, right? And I mean, there's a little bit That's of overlap. There's but... space there's space for everyone, certainly. Uh huh. Yes, definitely. Anyways, Hugh, this was awesome. I learned loved so much it. from this one. I loved it. I I can keep talking all day, and certainly exactly, that right? digital, the digital traffic conversation could have gone on for another. <laughs> yeah, hour. yeah. Let, let, let's um. Yeah, maybe, maybe another 20, 20 or 50 episodes. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe I'll, I'll have you back on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I to chat, though. I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right, take care. And you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm, bye. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to episode 105. We have the show notes posted at myfoodjobrocks.com slash 105Q. So that's H-U-G-H. So quick updates. We've made some changes to this site to make things easier to find. You'll notice that we have a new articles tab, which lists all of our articles by topic. And our episodes tab has the career playlist now embedded into it, so you can see all of our episodes sorted by career. We also have a search bar, and you can see this as a little magnifying glass. Click that, and a bar will pop up, and you can type in anything, and you will search on the site. If something doesn't work, just let me know. As always, like us on Facebook or leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps other people see that this show is worth listening to. And if you have any questions about careers or suggestions on how to improve our stuff, feel free to contact me at podcast at myfoodjobrocks.com or add me on LinkedIn. I've been getting some amazing responses there, and I absolutely love it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Adam and Hugh, for putting on a great discussion. This is Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode, which kicks off Series 5.